0: Well, Covenant family, it is so good to be with you all again this morning. I have missed seeing your faces. And it was uh, such a treat to be able to see the scrolling of all the photos that you sent in as we gathered together last Sunday to worship. I love that. Keep sending those in. It would be a lot of fun to see you in those ways. I just want to be able to say hello to the kids who are with us this morning. Hi kids, how you doing? I'm sorry during the message I'm not going to be able to stop and say hello and answer your questions and jump into playing a game with you, but I see you and you matter to me and to us. We want to be able to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us from other church families. We know that there are a lot of churches that aren't able to uh, provide a live streaming service and so you've hopped over to join with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Covenant. We're really glad you're with us. We also want to be able to specifically to welcome uh, all of those of you from our community and beyond our community who uh, may not have your own church family and may not even be part of the Christian faith, and you're kind of looking on this morning to see what it is that we have to say, what it is that we have to offer as Christians. And I just want to say, we love having you with us today. It is really a joy to have you part of our online family. So God, you are... God, and you are good, and all over again, uh, we invite you to anchor us to you today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. So before we jump into the passage that I wanted to be able to share a little bit with you about this morning, um, I just want to remind you one of the highest priorities that we've got as a church right now is to figure out ways for us to stay connected with one another. And that's challenging. And I think it's only gonna get more challenging in the months to come. So this is a time when I think it's really important for us to be working hard at doing that. So let me just uh, clip really quickly through five ways you can do that. And uh, there's information about this on the website and in our our e-news so you can track it down there. So first of all, I encourage you to hop in and be part of our uh, Facebook group. That's a, a fun way for us to connect and have conversation throughout the day and throughout the week the Covenant Church group, uh, and we are going to try to do kind of a midweek check-in. If I can figure out how to do it, maybe on Thursday nights at 7, we'll see. We'll give you, give you information about that where we can just have a chance to kind of, in, uh, in a live uh, moment, connect with each other. A second important way for you to stay connected with us is through our e-news, which we're now sending out twice a week, and uh, you can sign up for that on our webpage. Uh, a third is, you know that there are a lot of prayer concerns already, and I think that those prayer concerns are only going to grow uh, the way that the Covenant family can find out about our specific prayer needs is by signing up for our, our prayer list. I encourage you to do that also through our web page. A fourth really important way that we can stay connected with one another is starting tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, our staff has set up a prayer chain for us. It goes from 8 in the morning to 6 in the evening every day and we will just carry on uh, over the weeks to come. And you can sign up for 15-minute slots for that. Again, go to our webpage, go to the events page, and you'll see Pray Together 2020, and you can sign up there. And then the last thing uh, is just a reminder that uh, anybody that God puts on your heart is just a FaceTime or phone call or text away from you. So don't hesitate if God prompts you to just grab your phone and say hello to someone. All right, so during this season... Uh, I've just been praying about what it is that God would have us focus on specifically. Uh, you may remember, and uh, <laughs> you certainly have good reason not to remember in the midst of all that's, that's gone on, uh, if this has completely um, a fallen out of your brain, but you may remember that we started the year with, a, as a church family with a sense that God was leading us to focus on becoming a community known by its love. In fact, known more for its love than for anything else. So we talked about shifting our statement of calling to love God, love one another, and love the world. So as I've been praying about this really unique season that we are in as a world and as a church, it seems to me that that gets translated, love God, love one another, love the world, into three really important invitations that I believe that God is putting in front of us as a church family. Stay anchored. Stay connected. And stay faithful to your call. Stay anchored to God. Stay connected with the people of God. And stay faithful to God's call to be a people known for its love in these challenging times. So... Wherever it is that we go from here, those will be the things that will be the three themes that I see us constantly coming in and out of in the weeks to come. And I hope that they are part of your prayer and your offering of yourself back to God uh, each day and each week. So what about Easter? What about Holy Week? (laughs) We don't know. We haven't figured that out yet. Things are changing for us every bit as much as they are for you each day. And uh, that's on our screen. We're trying to just pray through and think through what's the best way for us to stand together as a people of God. And we haven't figured that out yet, but we'll certainly keep you posted. So the, the first theme uh, that we're starting in focusing on is this theme of staying anchored to God. I brought along something with me this morning. This is a model of a ship that I've had ever since I was a little kid. Uh, Some of you who are younger may not know what an anchor is, and some of you who grew up in Indiana surrounded by cornfields and soybeans might not know either. We're kind of landlocked here. Uh, So just to remind you, a ship sits on the top of the water, and it, it floats along there, and with the winds around it in constant motion and the water underneath it and the waves in constant motion, The ship is in constant motion, constantly being thrown around and pushed around. There's nothing that you can fix the, the ship to, to make it stop and stand still in the middle of the storm. But way down beneath the ship, all the way at the bottom of the ocean, is a solid rock. So an anchor is like a giant hook that's lowered from the front of a ship, and lowered on a rope or on a chain that goes all the way down, and it grabs onto that solid rock at the bottom of the ocean. So then no matter how much the ship is being thrown around and shoved around on the surface, it is still held fast to something that's not gonna give way. So that idea of the anchor is our focus for today. You know, on this ship, this ship is so tiny that you can't even see the anchors on the front of it. But I want to give you an idea of how big a ship's anchor actually is. Here's a picture of an anchor. Do you know who those people are in that picture? I don't either. Uh, I just found that picture on the Internet. But I, I wanted to be able to give you a picture that had people in place. so You could have an idea of how huge that anchor is. Look at that thing. So in case you're wondering, anchors like that aren't just something that uh, were a part of uh, kind of our present-day life. Ten years ago, I thought this was fascinating. Ten years ago, divers discovered uh, the, the kind of the remains of an anchor off the coast of Malta, and the, the cross piece was seven and a half feet wide. It was made out of lead. It weighed 1,500 pounds. And they dated that anchor, that part of the anchor that is uh, still intact, all the way back to New Testament times. In fact, there are some scholars who think that that was one of the anchors that's described in Acts chapter 27 when Paul had his shipwreck. That's pretty amazing. So when, when the, the New Testament writers use this picture of an anchor, the, the people who read these letters wouldn't have thought of a little rock tied on the end of a string lower down into the water. They would have thought of something pretty massive and substantial like this. And I think that's exactly the picture that God intends for us to have in mind. So with that image in mind, let's read a passage of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 6 that uses this imagery of the anchor to describe our faith. It says, We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So the theme of this passage is the hope that we have as followers of Christ. And just a couple things that I noticed as I looked at this. First of all, this passage is talking about followers of Jesus as ones who have fled something in order to take hold of something else. They've abandoned one thing and they've grabbed on to another thing. So the clear implication of the language in this passage is that as people who have put our trust in Jesus, we have let go of other false hopes. Other hopes that we've discovered haven't proven themselves to be sufficient. We've left those behind and we've laid hold of him. And the passage goes on to say that as we have laid hold of this hope, this hope has laid hold of us. It has given us, what the writer of Hebrews says, a great encouragement. So unlike all those other insufficient or not substantial enough things that we could put our hope in, we believe that this hope is a firm and secure one. The word that's used here for firm means unbudging. It won't give way. And the word for secure is a word that means it is rock solid and reliable. You've heard me probably many times describe Christian faith as putting the weight of our lives on Jesus because nothing else is is able to hold us up. And that's exactly what these words imply. So let me just ask, before we go on, during this time when everything is being shaken and the future seems so uncertain, what have you put the weight of your life on? And is it strong enough to hold? Is it a hope that is unbudging and rock solid and a source of great encouragement to you? The world says, well, if you have your health or if you have wealth, if you have position or if you have possessions, if you have power and influence, well, then your life will be secure. It's built on something that will last But now every one of those things is being exposed as an insufficient hope, a hope that will ultimately give way when the winds and the the waves begin to rise. So when we're being driven by the currents and we're being tossed by the waves and we're being thrown about by the winds, when everything is moving and nothing is fixed and everything feels precarious and anxious, then what is sufficient to hold us fast? I remember reading a book by Lewis Smedes in which uh, he told the story of a doctor who came to meet with a young patient. And he told this young man that he was dying. And the, the patient became furious with the doctor. And he said, you have taken away all my hope. And the doctor was very patient and gentle and he nodded and he said, do you have another one? I think this is a time when circumstances are pressing us to consider whether the hope that we have built our lives on is really substantial enough. What's your hope? What is is the thing to which you've tied your life to make sure that it holds fast? So the writer of Hebrews goes on. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So that's because it's attached to what? It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf and he has become a high priest forever. Well, here's an unexpected turn. The the writer of the book of Hebrews is using this imagery of an anchor and suddenly he completely shifts to another analogy. He brings in the imagery of the temple in Jerusalem that was used by the Jewish people to worship God. The temple was understood to mirror the throne room in heaven from which God rules over the world and in which he makes himself available to all people. So the temple, as it was structured, had outer courts where people could draw near to God. And then it had, as you went inside the temple, it had this huge inner room where the servants of God, the priests of God, would serve God and then at the back of that room, there was this thick, thick woven curtain. And behind that was the place that was called the Holy of Holies. And that was, where the people of, or that was where God himself was understood to reside. And there's a sense in which it wasn't believed that God was contained in that little room. But it was when that curtain was pulled back, then suddenly you were stepping directly into the throne room in heaven. So the picture that the writer uses of Jesus here, of Jesus who died for us and who rose again, is that he rises from the dead and anchor in hand, not diving down into the depths, but diving up into the heights of heaven He walks through the temple courts and he walks through the holy place and he draws back the curtain and he walks directly into the presence of God himself and he anchors our hope there in him, driving the anchor into the cleft in the rock where it will be unbudging and secure and firm and rock solid. David in Psalm 18 says, Who is the rock? But God. Which makes me think, and maybe it makes you think of this too, of another cleft of the rock story. When on the top of Mount Sinai, God passes before Moses and he declares the things that are truest of all about who he is, what his nature and character is like. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious one, slow to anger. Abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. It is to that rock that our anchor is fastened. It is into that hope that our hope is driven. Little wonder that the most common symbol of the Christian faith for the first 400 years of The Christian church wasn't the cross, but was the anchor. So here's what this means for us. Flipping back two chapters in the book of Hebrews to chapter 4, listen to what verses 14 and 16 say. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let us then approach God Approach God's throne. Sorry, let me start over because I wanted you to hear this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And if this isn't a time of need, I don't know what is. So when everything else in the world gives way and we can go straight. To God through Jesus and be sure of receiving mercy and finding grace to help us in our time of need. Three or four days ago, a poem just sort of formed itself in my heart, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. I call it Deep Calls to Deep. The winds, the waves, they force the boat to rock the text, the tweets, the feeds, the fears, the talk. But Ivan Anchor binds me to the rock. Three really practical ways for us to stay anchored in these really uncertain times. First of all, if you haven't done this yet, I just want to encourage you to flee those other inadequate hopes that's tempting to build our lives on and to place the weight of your life on Jesus. Put your faith in him. Take hold of the hope that he offers, nothing less than a relationship with God that opens up the heart of God to you and makes his grace and mercy available to you. Trust Jesus and and trust your life to Jesus. And he will give you a hope that is anchored in the greatness and the goodness of God himself. So just pray to Jesus and ask him to, to anchor you to God, to anchor you into the Father's great love for you. And if your heart is moved to, to trust Jesus, but you aren't sure quite how to do that, or if you have questions and you want to know more about what that would mean, I just would encourage you to give me an email and we can have an online conversation about that. So first, if you haven't already done so, put the weight of your life on Jesus. Second, then, especially in these turbulent days, develop a rule of life that anchors you to God throughout each day. So I don't know about you, but it seems like everybody's life has just been kind of thrown haywire upside down as a result of the way that this virus is working its way around the globe. Just yesterday, I was checking in with one of my neighbors, and she said she was describing the way that each of them, she, her husband, her son, every one of their lives looks completely in chaos compared to where it was a couple of weeks ago. The term rule of life which goes back 1,500 years in the history of the church, is sort of an unfortunate term. I think a better translation is a template or a pattern of life, even a rhythm of life. A rule of life, a life rhythm, is a way of staying anchored in the day-to-day of life, especially when the day-to-day isn't so much upheaval. I know that some of you have come across the great C.S. Lewis quote, in which he answered the question, he wrote this right after World War II, how are we to live in an atomic age? It really is a question about the shape, the rhythm of life in an uncertain time. And this is what he wrote. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. Now, obviously, he's not writing in the context of the importance of social distance and all of those sorts of things. Don't, don't follow C.S. Lewis in 1948 for health counsel and how we walk through the virus. But I love what he's talking about here. This is what a rule of life does. It helps us keep doing sensible and human things. So a rule of life is really just a way of making decisions ahead of time so you don't have to keep deciding what to do day after day. It's a way of deciding what matters most so that you can make room for those things and deciding what isn't important, as important and taking those things out. And it's also a way of, of figuring out what in your life might need some boundaries so that those things don't get out of proportion and we all find ourselves kind of being drawn to these things like binge-watching Netflix or, or constantly having the TV on and trying to see what the latest news is. And, uh, and a rhythm of life, a rule of life, is a way of kind of getting our lives back to a place of, of sane balance. So what's the big rock that should go in first ahead of everything else? Well, it's what we're doing together right now. Worshiping together with the church family, beginning the week in God's presence together. I don't know anything that could be more important for us as the people of God. A few years ago, Sharon and I had a chance to go up to Door County for a vacation. We'd heard a number of you talk about uh, what a great place it was. Isn't that an awesome place? We really enjoyed it. Yeah, I can see some of you nodding your heads. I know you know what I'm talking about. Well, one day we were in Sister Bay, and we went to a coffee shop that's called Base Camp. What an incredibly cool place. A Base Camp, you may be aware, is like a home base When you are climbing in a mountain range, it's the place you keep coming back to at the end of your hike and then going out from being sent out from in each morning. So I got a T-shirt there and I wore it earlier this week. And on the back of it, it defines what a base camp is. It says base camp, a refuge, a shelter, a place to rest and be restored before leaving to explore other horizons. Wow, what a great way to describe the church, especially in these strange and uncertain days. When we worship together, we are declaring again what's true, and we're being brought back again to the only sure and certain thing. I was thinking about this. The church is a restaurant that serves life and peace and hope. And we can no longer seat you here in the dining room, but we've got a great carryout service. And we are committed to continuing to provide that. Using volunteers and practicing safe social distancing, we are committed to continuing to provide that as long as we can. The elders and the lead staff of this church are of one mind in the belief that our continuing to provide online live worship is one of the most important things we can do during these days. So let's put worshiping together at the top of our rule of life, starting each week together in God's loving presence. And then stake out every day, beginning and end, by intentionally focusing on God and trusting the day to God at the start of it and thanking God for the day at the end of it. During these uncertain days, I think it's really helpful for us to go back and to hear some of the wisdom of the saints who've gone before us and who've walked through some really difficult and challenging circumstances. This week I've been rereading one of the spiritual classics. Uh, It's called Introduction to the Devout Life by Francis de Sales. It was written in the 1600s during a a time where there were all kinds of challenges uh, right around him where he was writing. And he advocates beginning and ending every day with worship and gratitude. So, first, start off by beginning each day by thanking God for the gift of life. And then he says, uh, worshiping God, we should, as though holding your heart in your hands, offer it to his divine majesty, asking him to take it under his protection and strengthen it throughout that day. And then in the evening before going to bed, he recommends giving God thanks for having watched over you throughout the day, thanking God for the ways that you experienced him asking his forgiveness for the ways that you failed to be faithful to him, and then entrusting your life into his hands again as you receive from him the gift of sleep. I think that's an important second practice. In addition to anchoring each week with our coming together as the people of God, to anchor each day, beginning and end, by putting ourselves before God and recognizing the gift of life and entrusting our life into his care. So then DeSales goes on and he recommends, I love this, uh, and it leads into the third anchoring practice that I want to suggest and close with. And that is what he calls practicing spiritual retreats throughout the day. He says, during the course of the day, recall as often as possible that you are right now in God's presence. Remember to retreat at various times into the solitude of your own heart, even while outwardly engaged in life and interaction with others retreat from time to time into divine solitude and there apart from the busy world you can converse heart to heart with God. Is that a great picture? So here's our third anchoring practice. Anchor your life to the anchor that is Christ. Establish a life rhythm that begins and ends each week with God and then whenever you are feeling overwhelmed or anxious or afraid dive down again to the rock where your anchor is fixed. Step out of the worrying winds and waves and let deep call you to deep. I think one of the subtle mistakes that you and I can fall into as Christians is to think that our relationship with God is one more thing that's up there in the wind-whippy surface of life. It's one more thing that has to be managed and controlled and and worried about and fretted over and, and pushed along but our relationship with God does not rest on our efforts, it rests in his love for us. One of my favorite and enduring images in my marriage with Sharon is of the two of us moving furniture. Sharon works out, she is really strong, but I need to tell you, laughter is like kryptonite for her. So when she and I are moving, say a couch or a big desk or a bureau, something like that, she's at one end and I'm at the other end, and we start moving it, inevitably she starts thinking about the humor of that, and inevitably she starts laughing, and then she just starts sinking down, and eventually the furniture kind of lands back on the ground. I think you and I can think of our relationship with God sort of like carrying a piece of furniture with him. God's at one end, He's doing his part, I'm at the other end, and I am doing my part. And sometimes I can hold up my end, I read my Bible, I pray my prayers, and I'm carrying the relationship along. But other times my knees give way, and I fail to do my part, and down goes the relationship. That's how we think. It all hangs on us, on us getting it right and doing it right. Wrong, completely wrong, If we are in Christ, it is not that we hold up our end of the relationship, but God holds up his, and it rises or falls on us getting it right. It is that God holds us no matter what. That is the entire foundation of the Christian life. That's what it means to be anchored into God throughout each day. The last time that we were in Charlotte, I took this picture of Brandon and Shepard. I love this picture. This is a faithful picture of us as God's children in relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. What do you notice about this picture? Who's doing what? What I notice is that Brandon is doing everything. Shep isn't even holding on. Look at the expression on the Father's face. Do you see the joy? And now look at shepherd's face. What a picture of peace and contentment. Anchoring ourselves to God means remembering that this is what's true, even in the storms, Deuteronomy chapter thirty-three verse twelve: Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in Him, for He will shield him all day long. He will shield her all day long, and the one the Lord loves will dwell, will rest between His shoulders. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven: The Eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Psalm sixty-eight verse nineteen: Praise the Lord, praise God our Savior. For each day he carries us in his arms. I want to wrap up my thoughts now by actually leading us right now, right where we all are, in experiencing stepping out of the wind and the waves and diving down to the rock together. Psalm 42, verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep. So listen, right in this moment to God's invitation to plunge out of the chaos and the fear and the uncertainty into the depths of God's bottomless love for us, where we are held and we are quieted and we are loved. Deep calls to deep. Watch this video and then close your eyes and plunge down to the rock with me. you pray with me Lord in the midst of the whipping winds and the whirling waves in the midst of the disruptions and the uncertainties that stir up in us fear and anxiousness we hear your whispered invitation deep calling to deep so we step out of the storm. We flee our false and our inadequate hopes and we dive down to the depths, up to the heights, into your loving presence, into your loving arms. And we find ourselves anchored to you. You are immovable rock reliable rock solid unbudging you are life you are strength you are calm you are peace you are hope we need you we trust you we love you We worship you, we look to you, we lay hold of you, and we rest in you.